Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Most of you that have been here for a while, you've heard us say that there's three key elements of our church and growing as a Christian. What are they? Worship, grow, and serve. And we want you as a church family to worship. You have nine weekend services that we have every weekend. Surely one of them fits in your schedule. Every week, you need to be worshiping somewhere. And then you need to grow. And the primary area that we help you grow is in groups, Bible studies, small groups, discipleship opportunities. You need to worship, you need to grow, and then you need to serve. That means you find a place of ministry in and through our church to serve other people. Worship, grow, and serve. Now, throughout the year, we highlight each of those three elements. But today, I want to highlight the center one, and that is growth. And the primary way that you're going to grow in and through our church is in small groups. You see, I really believe that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's like God puts a group gene in your spiritual DNA. God puts a group gene into your heart. I mean, think about it. Whenever God created all the animal kingdom, what did he do? He put them in groups. Now, we've classified them with our our terms. You've probably heard these before. I mean, if you have sheep, we call them a flock, right? A flock of sheep. Cattle are in herds. You know, fish are in what? Schools, very good. Um, wolves are in packs. And most of us have probably heard that. Okay, that's the grouping of those animals. Have you heard this grouping? Lions, we're grouped together, they're in a pride, right? If you have bees, they are in a swarm. And bats, they are in a colony, Now, there are some terms that we use that I think are just hilarious. Look at these next groupings. Mice are called a mischief. Porcupines grouped together are in a prickle. Giraffes are in a tower. And the one I love the most is rhinoceroses. They are in a crash. Why? Because when they get started, you don't stop them. They just crash. Well, those are the groupings of the animal kingdom, but... What's the grouping of a follower of Jesus Christ? What are we called? We're called the the church. You see, God expects you to do life with others. God expects you to be connected with other people. Now, Now, some people think, well, I can be the Lone Ranger Christian. No, you can't. That is not biblical. In fact, what we do is we realize that, okay, I'm called to be a Christian, but no, I'm called to grow up as a Christian, and that means I'm going to be a follower, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, today, I rarely call myself a Christian. Why? Because socially, everybody calls themselves Christians. Listen to this. In the Bible, there's only three times that the term Christian is used. And yet, in the Bible, the word disciple is used 281 times. You see, whenever you become a Christian, you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's the moment of your conversion. That's just the beginning. And if that is a true conversion, you then start a lifelong process of being a disciple and discipling others. That's what God has called us all to do. We are called to be disciples, and we are called to be disciple-makers. 
That is how we grow as followers of Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about that today. I want you to jot down a few things in your outline. The very first thing is this. Jot this down. The mission. What is God's mission for us? The mission is to make disciples. The calling that God has on this church, the calling that God has on your life is to make disciples. I mean, the fact is, is that if we as a church fail in this area, we fail. I mean, no matter how good we may have everything else, we may go, well, well, Silverdale, man, they got great facilities. And Silverdale, boy, they got great worship service. And, and, and Silverdale, you know what? They, they've got great kids ministries. And, and Silverdale got good teaching. But the fact is, if we're not making disciples, then guess what? Silverdale fails. Why? Because that's what God has called us to do. That's our mission. That's our calling. In fact, look at how Jesus puts this. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We call that the Great Commission. But I want to highlight a few things that you may not recognize. In the Greek language, there is one primary controlling verb. It's the command. What is it? I put it in big red. Make disciples. That is the command. That is the controlling verb. And then there are three participles that are connected with that controlling verb. I put them in green. What are they? Go, baptizing, and teaching. But listen, those three words only have significance when they're connected to the controlling verb, which is make disciples. Why do we go to make disciples? Why do we baptize people? Because that's the beginning process of discipleship. Why do we teach? Because it's all about discipleship. Everything we do has to be motivated for discipleship. I love this quote from Robert Coleman. He wrote this classic book called Master Plan of Evangelism. He makes this statement. He says this, The Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts in the name of the triune God, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples. You see, a lot of churches will measure their success based on a lot of stuff, okay? We're a big church. We've got a lot of new converts, or we've got a lot of people on our roll, or a great budget, or big buildings, whatever it may be. Can I tell you, that is not the criteria, God will measure us based on how well we're doing in discipling people, helping people grow in their faith, and then enabling them to then grow other people in their faith that will then enable them to grow other people in their faith where it multiplies across this world. And so listen, everything we do here is about discipleship. Kids Quest, that's discipleship. Small groups, it's discipleship. Every men's group, every women's group, it's discipleship. Every support group we have around here, it's discipleship. If you come for counseling from me, guess what? You're not going to get counseling. You're going to get discipleship. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. We are called to make disciples. That's what we're all about. Now, here's the problem. A lot of us will read that command of Jesus, and we won't take ownership of it. We'll go, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I get it. That's what the church is supposed to do, or that, that's what the apostles were supposed to do, or that's what the church leader is supposed to do. No, that's what you are supposed to do. 
This command is for every person in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to be a disciple, and you're called to be a disciple maker. That's what God's called you to do. And so let me ask you a simple question. Are you making disciples? Can you point to anybody in this church that you have influenced into the kingdom of God by faith or are pouring into and growing them up in their faith? If you can't point to somebody who you've brought to faith or you're pouring into them to strengthen their faith, then guess what? You're being disobedient to this command. So many of us as Christians, we think that this thing about discipleship is optional. It's not. This is your responsibility. This is your job. This is my job. This is everybody's job. Not just your neighbor. This is your job. In fact, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, uh, this is my job. <laughs> Discipleship is my job. Discipleship's my job. You thought I was going to make you say, it's your job. No, it's my job. Right? Many of you know that I'm sort of a history buff. And one of the areas of history that I'm always intrigued with is the Civil War. And one of the generals of the Civil War that's really intriguing is um, George McClellan. He was the first general for the Union armies. Now, Lincoln couldn't have chosen a better general, at least on paper. I mean, the guy was called the young Napoleon because he had such a military strategic mind. He was the youngest person ever allowed into the military academy, age 15. He graduated top of the military academy class. I mean, the guy was brilliant. And he was an incredible recruiter. Whenever he became the general, I mean, volunteerism rose by 300%. And the troops loved him. I mean, the guy had everything. The guy had experience. He had a talent. He, he had a brain, brilliant. He had a, now a powerhouse army was, that was twice as large as the, you know, the Confederate army. There's only one problem about McClellan. The man wouldn't fight. The man wouldn't fight. I mean, what use is having all that strategic and military advantage if you're not going to use it and fight? Lincoln constantly urged him, take a stand, go do something. I mean, Lee and his army, they are very vulnerable right now. We can crush the rebellion right now in the Civil War in a few battles. What did he do? He delayed again and again and again and again. After one entire year of inactivity, eventually Lincoln had to sack the greatest general in America because the man wouldn't fight. And then he went from one general to another general to another general till he finally landed upon Ulysses S. Grant, a guy that did not, he had maybe half the, the strategic and ability of McClellan. But the thing is about Grant, the man would fight. The guy would not run away from a fight. And guess what? He won the Civil War and eventually became the next president. Well, see, I believe that that can be us. You see, as a church, we can be the biggest church in town, and we are. And we can have the greatest facilities and the most amazing staff and incredible worship, incredible next-generation ministries. But if we fail to make disciples, what good is it? Right? We're called to make disciples. We're called to be growing in our faith and then pouring into somebody else's life so that they can grow in their faith so that they can then pour into somebody else's life and grow in their faith. That is what God's called us to do. That is our mission. That is the mission of Silver to Baptist Church. That is your mission as a follower of Jesus Christ. You go, whew, 
how do we do that? Well, let me encourage you. Here's the second thing. Jot this down. What's the method? What's the method? How do you do that? What's life on life? You see, the only way that you're going to be discipled and disciple others is to spend time with people, to have life on life interaction. That's what Jesus did, right? I mean, you look at the model of Jesus Christ. What did he do? He had 12 disciples that he poured into. But you know what else? Jesus also hung out with the multitudes. Everything Jesus did, every interaction that Jesus had was discipleship. Why? Because 75% of discipleship is informal. It's just doing life together. It's just opening up your life to somebody else. That's what it really is. The problem that we have as Americans, you know what it is? We don't like to be open with anybody. We like to be isolated. You know what we do as Americans? Typically, we drive home from work in our car. We make the garage door go up, and we drive in, and we shut the garage door, and then we isolate ourselves around the TV and with our family. And if we do go outside for the fire pit, it's okay because we got the privacy trees and we don't have to interact with anybody, right? That's the that's typical Americans, right? I mean, I got a lot of people in my neighborhood. Susan and I walk every day and we interact with different people all the time. There are some people, some guys, that I've not seen them except from their torso up, right? I don't even know if they have legs. <laughs> Why? Because they drive in and they go in their garage and I don't see them again, right? I mean, you know... Does anybody have any neighbors like that? How many of you are neighbors like that? Right? Can can I tell you, the only way we're going to really disciple and change and evangelize this world is one-on-one, life-on-life. That's how this is done. That's how Jesus did it. That's how we've got to do it. Now, let me just be real practical and make it really easy for you. How? First of all, jot this down. Life-on-life discipleship around meals. Life-on-life discipleship around meals. You see, that's the example of Jesus. That's the example of the early church. Look at this. The book of Acts is written. It's a history of the early church. And so look at just how it started off. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. The Bible says this. Every day, they, the early Christians, met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. The Lord added daily to the community of those who were being saved. See, something that we don't talk very much about is the evangelistic power of hospitality. Hospitality. Our missionaries have discovered this. They go overseas and they just open up their homes for meals and people are coming to faith. That's what we do. We just, we just invite people over to our house for a meal. And guess what? They see you and they interact with you and they see how you interact with your spouse and with your kids and how you pray for your meals and you have conversations about faith. And next thing you know, oh my goodness, you're discipling them. They're, they're, they're coming to faith and you're growing them up. We, we started this church year by looking at how Jesus did that. We had a series we called what? Table Talk. We, we studied through the Gospel of Luke and we discovered that 80% of Jesus' conversations were either at a meal, or when he was going to a meal, or coming from a meal. I don't know about you, that's a savior I can follow, right? I mean, Jesus loved to eat, I love to eat, this is awesome, right? Let me, let me just make this easy for you. Evangelism is doing normal life with gospel intentionality. Let me say that again. Evangelism, discipleship, is doing normal life with gospel intentionality. So what do you do? Use the meals as discipleship opportunities. 
you're going to eat 21 meals this next week. Why don't you use one of them as a discipleship opportunity? It's really simple. You're going to eat 21 meals, right? I mean, what does that look like? Well, you go, yeah, invite somebody and say, hey, let's start having lunch together or breakfast together. And why don't we read the Bible and then let's talk about it? Or, hey, let's read this Christian book together and talk about it. That's discipleship. Hey, let's watch this right now media video and talk about it. It's just that simple. You share a meal with somebody, right? You're going to have 21 meals. Use at least one of them to disciple somebody. I've shared this before. That's how I discipled my children. Every breakfast, I was discipling them. We shared meals together. We read the word together. We went through Bible studies together. My kids are much more spiritually on fire for Jesus than I am. Why? Because they were discipled by me, right? They're on my shoulders. Use meals to disciple the next generation. Use meals to hang out with people and just disciple them. Several times every week, I'll meet with other guys, and we'll have a meal together, and we'll read a book together. What am I doing? I'm discipling. It's just that simple. Let's don't complicate this. It's that easy. Just disciple by using meals, okay? Second thing that you can do in discipleship process is this. Jot this down. Life-on-life discipleship in small groups. Life-on-life discipleship in small groups. See, I'm expecting all of you that we don't have to organize your meals for you, right? You're big enough to handle that, right? But as a church, we want to really make this easy for you. And so what we want to do is we've organized our church around small groups. We have about 150 adult small groups. Many of them meet on Sunday mornings. Many of them meet in homes throughout the week. I mean, basically, every one of you have an opportunity that you can plug into a small group. You go, what's going to happen there? Well, during that time, you're going to fellowship with them. You're going to, you know, study the word together. You're going to, you know, encourage one another and pray for one another. You're going to do ministry to one another, and you're going to do ministry in our city together. It's going to be amazing what you will experience in a small group. Now, you go, why do we do this? Because it's biblical, Right? I mean, in fact, jot this down your outline. First of all, it was the model of Jesus. Think about it. Jesus used a small group model. Jesus had 12 disciples, right? Look at it. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. And he appointed 12 so that they may be with him. See, that's life on life. Circle the word 12 there. Jesus, being the best teacher, knew that 12 was the perfect size small group. I mean, sociologists tell us that it's the perfect size group for learning and accountability and discussion. Twelve is the perfect size group. Now, your group may be smaller than that. Your group may be larger than that. But the fact is, is that you need people in your life, a group of people that you are walking with. And so let me just ask you, who are your 12 people? Who are the 12 people you're doing life with? Now, you may go, well, see, I, I don't really like that. I, I'm more of an independent kind of person. I like doing life on my own. Can I just tell you what you just said is distinctly non-Christian? That's not being a Christian. God has created you to be in groups. God has put that group DNA in your heart. God wants you to be part of his family, and it's done in small groups. And so that was the model of Jesus. But it wasn't just the model of Jesus. It was the model of the early church. Shut that down. It was the example of the early church. The early church was, how? Organized around small groups. 
That's where they did ministry and fellowship. That's how they, had, they grew and took off so much, because they had small groups. Look at it again. We, we read a passage in Acts 2. It's repeated again in Acts 5. They met every day in the temple, and where? From house to house. You see, those are two different sides of meetings. You had the temple, temple courts, huge. Thousands of people could worship there together, okay? They had that large group gathering, but they also had the small group gathering. They were meeting in homes. Homes were a lot smaller back then than they are today, right? These were small group gatherings. Large group gathering, small group gathering. We need the same thing. You come here, and on the weekend worship services, you're worshiping with hundreds of other people. And there's just something about when we all get together, we're all worshiping together. Oh, my goodness, you see, I'm a part of something big that God's doing in this city. Praise God for large group gatherings. But if that's all you're doing, you're missing out on real discipleship. Because real discipleship is going to happen whenever you're a part of the small group gathering. That's why the early church took off. It wasn't just because it had large group gatherings. No, it's because of the small groups. I mean, think about it. You read the book of Acts. It starts off, early Christians, there were only 120 of them. Then 10 days later, Pentecost, you had 3,000. A few weeks later, they had 5,000. By the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, which is about 20 years later, we find a description of the Jerusalem church. It's given to the Apostle Paul. Look at it. In Acts chapter 21, verse 20, they say to Paul, You see, brother, how many, look at this, how many tens of thousands of believers there are among Jews. What does that mean? That means there's at least 50,000, probably 70,000 followers of Christ in the Jerusalem church. Folks, that's a mega church. That's huge. I mean, in all of our weekend services, we'll have over 4,000 this weekend. We're a big church, okay? But we are small compared to the Jerusalem church. How in the world did it turn the world upside down? It wasn't their large group gatherings. I'll tell you what it was. It was the small group gatherings. It's the same for you. the same for us. If you're going to come to Silverdale and it's a big church, you've got to get in a small group. That's the only way you're going to grow in your faith and get connected with others. Studies have been done that the average person that goes to church knows about 50 to 60 people. That could be if you're in a church of 100, that's what church I grew up in, you'll know about 50 to 60 people. Or if you're in a church of 1,000, you'll know about 50 or 60 people. Or if you're in a church of 10,000, you'll know about, you know, 50 to 60 people. So what do you got to do? This ain't a small church. You've got to get in a small group. That's the only way you're going to get connected That's the only way you're going to have real relationships and grow in your faith and have real fellowship. One person put it like this. Fellowship is two fellows in the same ship. And that ship is a relationship. The Bible calls it koinonia. And koinonia just simply means sharing together. Some of my dearest friends are in our small group. Some of your dearest friends are probably in your small group. Why? Because you're doing life together. You're sharing together, you're studying the word together, you're praying together, you're loving on each other and ministering to each other. You, you, hand in hand, you go you know, serve this city in different ways. That's how you grow in your faith. Why? Because when you start doing life with other Christians, you will grow spiritually in your life. You see, every person in this city is longing for that kind of fellowship, that kind of koinonia. Chattanooga is a city filled with lonely people. They are, and they're longing for what you have an opportunity to experience. See, the problem is that in our generation today, we're electronically connected, 
but we're relationally disconnected. You may follow hundreds of people on Twitter and have a thousand or two thousand or three thousand friends on Facebook, and you know what? You may have every relationship app, but you don't have true connection relationally. You know how you can get that? By getting involved in a small group. Now, I realize something. In our church, about half of you are going to go, yeah, I don't need that, right? I mean, you'll say, okay, Pastor Tony, I get it. It's biblical, but I don't want to do it, which seems a contradiction to me. If it's biblical, you better do it because it's disobedience if you don't, right? And so, okay, all right, it's biblical. But let, let me just tell you, at the bottom of your outline there, I've given, you know, three typical excuses that I hear why people are not involved in small groups, and then I'll give you my answer to each one, okay? Here they are. The very first one is, I've been burned. I've been burned. Well, my answer to that is, try again. Try again. Listen, Silverdale's not a perfect church. There's not a perfect small group. We're human. We're flawed, there's going to be things that happen. You may not connect with everybody. That's okay. You know what? We want our small groups to be a safe, encouraging environment. But you know what? Not all of them may be for you. And so guess what? Try again. Try another one out. You've had a bad meal before, right? Didn't keep you from eating, right? You tried again. It's the same way. Listen, here's a life principle. Learn from the past. Don't live in it. Try again. You got a bad experience? Try again. Second excuse is this. I'm too busy. Just too busy. Well, you're going to have to make it a priority. Look, I don't know a person that's not busy. I'm busy. You're busy. All God's children busy, right? We're all busy. But what you got to do is you got to say, okay, what's most important? If I'm called to be a disciple and disciple others, I need to start doing what God's called me to do here, right? And, And you know what? The most important thing is relationships. Think about it. You're not taking your job to heaven. You're not taking your house or your car or your kids' soccer trophies to heaven. Relationships, people that have poured into you and people that you've poured into, that is who's going to heaven. That's the most important thing. And so you've got to say no to good things so that you can say yes to the most important things. Make it a priority. Third excuse is I'm scared Scared. Well, you're going to have to learn to trust God in this. You know, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I've never been in a small group. I don't know what's going to take place. What if I don't click with these people? It's okay. Try a different one. Right? What if the, um, the small group leader asked me to pray? He won't unless they talk with you first. Right? Well, what if my small group leader asked me to confess my deepest, darkest secret? Tell them it was murdering your last small group leader, and they won't ask you that again, okay? (laughs) Listen, these things aren't going to happen. As long as you sit on the fence, Satan will keep adding to your what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. If anything that you do by faith is a risk, trust God. Yeah, step out. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable at first. Step out, trust God by faith, and watch God bless you. That's what God blesses is faith. Trust God. And listen, there is no better time to get in a small group than right now. You go, why? Because next week we're beginning a church-wide series called Grace is Greater. Grace is Greater. I read this book by Kyle Ottoman last year. It is incredible. It is life-altering. It's just going to be a five-week study. 
I will be teaching on it in here every week, but every small group is going to be watching a video, just a short video, and then discussing it. And then there is a 28-day devotional guide that you can get and walk through. I'm telling you, this is going to be amazing. You can pick these up in the atrium. They're just $5, you know. If you can't afford them, we'll give them to you, okay? We want everybody here to be a part of this next study. And what you're going to learn is you're going to discover how God's grace is greater. God's grace is greater than your sin and greater than your hurts and greater than your pain and greater than your hang-ups and and greater than your weaknesses. You're going to discover the grace of God and the power of the grace of God. But you will not get it if you just show up in here. Life on life, discipleship's going to happen in a small group. So get in a small group. And you go, well, how do you do that? Well, if you're already in a small group, you don't need to do anything. Just show up next week, okay? Um, in fact, if you're already in a small group, I just want you to be praying right now for people that aren't, okay? Because if you're not in a small group, it's very simple. All you got to do, you can go to your smartphone or iPad or go on your computer at home, get on your browser, and just type in sbcsmallgroups.com. It doesn't get easier than that. SBC, that's Silverio Baptist Church, sbcsmallgroups.com. And it'll take you to a web page, and there will have different age groups. And you can just click on your age, and it'll give you all the options. Again, we have about 150 small groups here on campus and off campus and through the week. And you just find those that best meet your schedule. And you sign up. It's just that simple. And the next week, come expecting God to rock your world. Okay? Because he will. Now, if you're in a small group, and you know what? You're loving it. You know what I encourage all of you to do? Invite somebody else. Come call somebody that maybe's you know drifted away, or call somebody that's not involved in a small group and say, "Hey, we miss you. We're starting this new study." Pastor Tony says it will be incredible. I don't want you to miss this. Would you would you come? You know, be my guest next week. Do that. Watch God just use you. That's part of the discipleship process. Now, as we close here today. I know that some of you may not feel comfortable doing stuff online and that kind of thing. There's going to be people out in the atrium. They'll help you. If you need to ask questions, they'll be out there. It's our small group ministry team. They'll connect you. They'll do whatever you need. Okay, you can do it that way or you can do it online. But either way, please, this week, sign up for a small group. I'm going to make one final statement. It's a bold statement, but I believe it's true. You are one small group community changing your destiny. You are one small group community away from changing your destiny. Most of us will look at our lives and we look back and we see these little decisions we made along the way and we go, oh my goodness, that little decision changed and redirected my entire life. This decision to be a part of a small group will rock your world, change your world, redirect your whole life. But you've got to be willing to, to do it. You step out on faith and say, God, this is the way you've organized the church. Jesus is the way you did it. That's the way I'm going to do it too. And watch God change your world. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. 
We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.